There are a few charts here that are important because they talk about where we're headed as a nation. Uh, and we've got some very serious issues. We're seeing the world economy obviously struggling with some very serious problems. Uh, but those problems are not unique to other nations. They're actually fairly consistent with our own problems. And they are basically a problem of sovereign debt. And the fact that we've simply spent too much money that we didn't have, and they run up a debt which we can't afford. Uh, first chart mentions Adam Smith. I'm a big fan of Adam Smith. And he got it right 300 years ago when he said, you know, governments, countries aren't brought down by private sector activity. They're basically brought down by governments, governments and governments. And uh, that's true. Unfortunately, he understood it back then, and, and we have we should understand it today. The second chart, which is one of the most interesting, I find, is, is a chart which was done by Heritage, and they basically put sovereign debt on. Uh, they put they put um, sovereign debt on one axis, and then they put economic and political freedom on the other axis. Bottom axis. And the interesting thing about this chart is that if you look at state market economies, China, Vietnam, they're way down here in the corner. No sovereign debt, no political freedom. A lot of economic activity though. And the other in the other quadrant, which is really the dangerous quadrant, with excessive sovereign debt, but with a lot of political freedom and economic freedom for our countries like ourselves in the, in the UK and other European countries. What does this chart mean? What does it reflect? Elections. That's what it is. That uh, people vote for programs which they can't afford. And I want to get into that a little more in depth. But the third chart is, is one that should concern you because we've all heard about Greece, Greece's problems. We've heard about Iceland's problems. We know Ireland has very serious problems. We know Italy has problems. Japan has problems, but they can self-finance because they've got such great savings. But this chart shows sovereign debt as a percent of GDP in various countries across basically the democratic world. And who's sixth on the list after Greece, Ireland, Iceland, and Italy, Spain? Uh, well, it's the United States. So when we look at Greece and what's happening in Greece, we should be really worried because the Greek situation reflects a meltdown of the nation, economic stability, uh, is really a precursor for our situation, whether we like it or not. We know, for example, that under the present scenario, our debt will double in the next five years and triple in the next 10 years. Those are staggering numbers. Uh, that we will go from a GDP ratio of public debt, GDP of what has historically been about 35%, which is a very strong position to be in. This year, we're going to cross 62%. We're going to have a public debt to GDP ratio of 62%. Try to put that in context. The European Union, which we don't want to get into, but which has certain rules about what its nations are supposed to do, says that a nation cannot be a member of the European Union if its public debt to GDP ratio exceeds 60%. It also can't be a member of the European Union if its deficits exceed 3%. Our deficit is 9% this year and will average 5.5% for the next 10 years under the present scenarios. We're going to average over a trillion dollars of deficit every year for the next 10 years. And our public debt to GDP, which is 62% this year, 
having come up to 35% just two years ago. Just two years ago, we were at 35%. Now we're at 62 Our public debt to GDP will be at 87%, 87% by 2017. Those are intolerable numbers. Those are numbers which lead to bankruptcy, lead to insolvency. What's driving this? Well, there are two things driving it, in my opinion. First is the, is the incredible expansion of government under the, under the Obama administration. Uh, and this, there's a chart in here that shows that the debt, the public debt going up under the Obama administration. That, that is a function of the fact that this administration has decided to radically grow the size of government. Not, not incrementally, but literally radically grow the size of government. Uh, the health care bill being the most distinct example of that, which adds $2.5 trillion when you spend $2.5 trillion to the federal spending. But this couples, this, this radical increase in spending by this government, which, you know, I mean, the, the president came into office saying he generally believed you create prosperity by growing the government. I mean, he openly said that. And they're following through on it with energy and enthusiasm. But that's compounded significantly by this massive demographic shift that we're in the middle of. We're going to go from 35 million people who are retired to 70 million people who are retired. We're going to go from, in the 19, we've got this chart here, in the 1950s, there were 16 people paying into our Social Security Italian program, and now there's two people paying into The implications of this are simple. Our <coughs> Medicare and entitlement programs, which are our two biggest programs in the federal government, were built on the theory that there would always be a pyramid. There would always be many more people paying in than taking out. Uh, and what we're going to is a rectangle. That doesn't work. You can't have this situation uh, with an aging population. And it's not just uh, ourselves who have this problem. There's a chart here called Share of Population Aging, which reflects the fact that this is a Western, European, American, and Japanese problem that our populations are aging and we're in a very serious demographic shift situation relative to the, to the effects on uh, the financial situation of the government. Which leads me to an axiom that I come up with, which is this, that when you take a, a populist government, which is an elected government that pays attention to the majority, a populist government that has a huge demographic shift towards aging in an entitlement society leads to unsustainable death. And that's our situation. Uh, how do you address it? Well, number one, you stop spending. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, this is like losing weight. You eat that. You know, I mean, you just plain stop spending money that you don't have and adding program you can't afford. Uh, this is especially true on the discretionary side of the budget. There is no reason we shouldn't freeze discretionary spending for at least one or two, three, four years. Secondly, you've got to take on the entitlement programs. You've got to look at those entitlement programs, especially Medicare and Social Security, and recognize that because of this demographic shift, they are no longer affordable to the, young, to the younger generations. You can't have young Americans who are working, two of them paying to support one American who's retired. It just doesn't work effectively under the present benefit structure we have. So
So we're going to have to change these entitlement programs. Now, you don't have to do it radically. You don't have to do it in a way that's draconian. You can phase this in over four, five, six, 20 years of that. But you do have to take the action which shows that you're going to move in that direction. And that means you've got to adjust the social security system on the issues of like age and toll. And you've got to look at the Medicare system and see how the reimbursement structure is done. And uh, you've got to start having political will to do that. Thirdly, you've got to have a better energy policy. You can't continue to spend $300 billion and send it overseas, capital that's needed here in the United States, people who don't like us, buying energy. So we have to have an energy policy which encourages American production, and encourages conservation, utilization of, of cars, with, especially the automobile fleet, which is more efficient, renewables, and other action which will produce savings in energy utilization and produce production here in the United States, and so that we're not shipping all these dollars overseas. And you have to reform the tax. Uh, we have a tax law which essentially is not working. It's become a chaotic entity, uh, and it's not only not producing revenues that we should be able to produce, it's also not producing economic activity. In fact, it's countered economic activity. So we need a tax law that's simpler, and it's more rational, and it can still be progressive, but it has to encourage capital formation. And myself and Senator Wyden have put forward a comprehensive tax reform bill that does exactly that. And fifth, and I think this is probably the most important thing, although you got to do the first four, you can't get away without doing the first four, and those are all tough questions. You have to have a government that understands that it's the individual who's the engine of this economy, that it's the entrepreneur that's the engine of this economy. We cannot allow ourselves to be moved to a European democratic welfare state model, which is exactly what our colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to do and what this administration has as its goal. Rather, we have to have a government that continues to encourage the entrepreneurial spirit of, the, of this country, which is so great. I mean, we have the capacity as a nation to undertake these types of huge issues, but we don't have it if we basically suffocate the productivity and the energy of the American people of a massive government which reduces their willingness to be competitive and their willingness to be productive. And so we have to we have to be vigilant about this. And so we have to, quite honestly, resist the initiatives that are being pushed forward now by this government so that we can accomplish these things and push the agenda forward that addresses those first four issues. 